BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Friend of a Friend podcast. It's your host, Olivia Perez. I am so excited to have one of my favorite artists with us today, Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter, and performer Maggie Rogers. Just three years ago, Maggie performed her NYU senior thesis, which we now know and love as her hit song, Alaska, for Pharrell during a masterclass. The video went viral, and Maggie shot from college student to pop stardom overnight. The Maryland-born artist signed with Capitol Records and has since released an EP, Now That the Light Is Fading, and last year, she debuted her first record, Heard It In A Past Life. The album landed at number two on the Billboard charts, and the record's tour included headliner stops at Coachella and Lollapalooza, two nights at New York City's Radio City Music Hall, and a performance on SNL. Last year, she was placed on the Time 100 Next 2019 list, the Forbes 30 Under 30 list, and she just received her first Grammy nomination for Best New Artist. Maggie's songs have surpassed 650 million streams globally, and her music has built a cult following of loyal fans who she says if they weren't her fans, they'd be people she'd be at the same house party as. But that's what makes Maggie, as the New Yorker calls her, the artist of our time. Maggie's our friend, and being her fan is more than just loving her music. It's being a part of her journey to self-discovery that simultaneously takes us on our own. In this episode, Maggie talks about finding life after touring, gives us a master class in navigating the entertainment industry, and why her next business move might not be what we think. Here's my friend, Maggie Rogers. This is the first of our weekly show and on the Dear Media Network, and I have Maggie Rogers here, who I am so excited to just have with me. We met in college, which seems like decades ago. It's, I mean, it was a long time ago at this point. I know, but that makes me sad. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like, I too oh. miss deep academic structure. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. I think it was fun. I but love college. It's been such an incredible experience to watch your journey and to just also see you be the exact same person you are now oh, as thanks, you were dude. when I met you, which is just, I think, such an honor and a privilege to know you. And I'm really grateful to have oh, you here. Thanks. Yeah. I love you too. Awesome. I love you too. <laughs> yeah, good to see you. <laughs> I know. I haven't seen you in a minute. I know. So this will be good. We can have a yeah. real a real authentic catch up. It's going to be like half interview, half us just shooting the shit and catching up because it's really been a minute because Maggie's been on tour around the world. Yeah, I have disappeared. <laughs> but in a for all the best In reasons. the best okay. way. No, I mean, I think that that's, that's the best way of saying where I am right now, yeah. which is like coming off of three years of very, very, very intense touring and figuring out what my life looks like on the other side of it. There. We can dig we'll in. We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> but so I It's always, complicated. <laughs> well, I'm excited to de-unpack it all. Yeah. But I always like to start in the beginning. Where are you from and where do you live right now? Which is also I, probably a complicated answer. No, actually, that question just got so much simpler. I am from Easton, Maryland, which is on the eastern shore on Chesapeake Bay. And I live in Los Angeles, California. That is the first time I have said that sentence. That's incredible. Welcome. Thank you. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. I have avoided saying that for a long time. 
Why? Well, it also wasn't the reality. Right. There was something about living in L.A. that felt like I gave in. Like, we've talked about this before. We've talked about this. I think I just belong further north, but this is where my friends live. It's where my work is. I need to rest. I now officially live here. I think the answer to where you live is where does your mail go? And my mail only recently started going to L.A. Because I, the answer was I live on a bus. Valid. And, also very um, logical. Yeah. So now my mail is in Los Angeles. It must feel really nice to feel a sense of home, grounding. Nesting is crazy. Nesting's the best I, thing I'm ever. a tourist, so it's just it's an essential habit. It's wild. I live alone. The last time I lived alone was the year after I graduated from college at an apartment in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. But I actually only spent six weeks in my year lease, which is why I decided to sort of go rogue for a little while. But I have been sharing a home with 15 people for three years. And I haven't had my own space. Like, it's really crazy what it does to your identity to look around a room and see it filled with the things that reflect your personality or your experiences back to you. It's just not something I've <laughs> I've had in a really long time. And it's really nice. Yeah. Everything that's yours. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. It's so obvious. I'm like, my books. <laughs> my books are here. And like the weird like body diagrams I had on my college wall for years. And I'm so into buying ceramics. This is so boring. But no, like, no, I, no. like I'm really into nice soap and I'm really into pottery. And like it's so stereotypical too. Like of course I am. But I don't think so. I don't think it's stereotypical. I think it has to do with it's so, like, quote unquote, on brand that I'm like into pottery is what I'm trying to say. But I'd love to talk a little bit about the college experience, mm -hmm. not just because that was a huge moment for you. Obviously, you went to NYU. We both did. That's where we met. Yep. You were in Clive Davis and you had what you like to call your big break towards the end of college when a video of you went live on YouTube performing a song that now you know and love is Alaska for Pharrell. And it went viral. And that was obviously an incredible experience for you. But I always look back on that and have this like sense of like overwhelmingness or like pressure of like, what's it like being in the moment of your big break? And what tools did you use to prepare yourself to move on from that moment? Well, I don't know that the tools were ever preparing for that moment because that was never something I was expecting. And it was just always something like I knew I wanted to make music. So I was always preparing to forward myself in that, to make myself the best artist I could, the best businesswoman I could, to just create a life and a career and a business really in this industry. That, yeah, it was really overwhelming. But it was, I think what I've learned is that so much is expectations versus reality. Like you can handle anything if you know what you're walking into. And that day, what I thought I was walking into was just my college classroom. I didn't know that Pharrell was going to be there or that I was working on my senior thesis. I have a degree in music production. And so part of it is like you play something you're working on for your class and you have a critique. It's like really classic art school, final thesis practice. And it was just my day to present. So yeah, it was overwhelming. But I think what I've thought about so much since then is is the ways in which my life, I've had an incredibly unique experience, but also so much of what I've been through has also been really age appropriate. Like getting a new job, moving to a new city, making new friends, like figuring out what your life looks like without academic structure. These are all super common things that happen in the life of a young college graduate. Like the year after you graduate from college, rocks you <laughs> no matter Completely. like what you're doing mine just looked a lot different 
in general. <laughs> it was just on a bigger scale. Or a different scale. I mean, right. I think that like that first going to a work function where you don't know anyone is really scary no matter what that looks like or who it is. Mine was like a V Magazine Dior party hosted by Bella Hadid. That's how, you remember that's where we met. I know. Okay. <laughs> I, we were sitting next to each other and my roommate is one of Maggie's closest friends and we met just, you were sitting next to me and I was like, wait, I've heard about you, you my entire together. But college that, life. That party, I will never forget. It was like such an important moment for me because I remember someone being like, you got invited to this thing and me being like, okay. And they're like, you should go. And I was like, okay. And they're like, you can take a guest. And I was like, no, if I go alone, then I'll have to make friends. Yeah. Which in hindsight is psycho. It's a dinner at eight. So I showed up at eight because <laughs> I thought it'd be so awkward if I was late for dinner. Dinner definitely started at like 930. Uh-huh, I was that. there before any of the magazine staff who actually those people who I hung out with alone for an hour who were working at V Magazine are now some of my best friends. Great friends. networking hack right there. <laughs> it was so awkward. <laughs> I was standing at the bar being like, so I like your um shoes. <laughs> and these table <laughs> settings look really great. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, all at once, incredibly normal and deeply extreme. During that year, did you, I was even like hesitant to even bring up the video because I'm sure that like you've had a massive jump in your career. There's so much more to talk about, but I admire you a lot because you have so much reverence for the past in your life and the way yeah. everything has happened for you. But have you had a hard time shedding that like, this was my like big viral moment, but like now you're an artist. There's a totally different story there. I mean, I think I have a background in journalism. So I hey, understand. Girl. Love that. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> um, so I understand the lead. And I also understand giving context. And I also understand that journalists are under pressure from their editors to ask certain questions. And like, you can't do a certain interview without asking certain questions, even if you don't get an answer. I think there have been frustrating moments where I'm on Australian TV to talk about my record and we speak about Pharrell for five minutes out of my seven minute segment. You can Google that, which is just like, I'm here to talk about my record. There's different parts of it. It's like, I have an incredible amount of reverence for that moment, for Pharrell, for the fact that that's how my career publicly really started. But I think the work that I've been doing over the last three years speaks so much more or just just speaks beyond that moment. So I don't know. I'm happy to talk about it. I mean, I wrote a record about to process. It's also impossible not to talk about it. But it just feels so far in my, I mean, it's just three and a half years ago at this point. It just feels so far away in my life. I don't feel a discomfort with it that right. I need to like shift it or say something new about it or flip the narrative. I think the narrative is that like I've been writing songs for 12 years. I've been recording and producing my music for 10. The only moments that were frustrating were when people would be like, I love that song Pharrell made for you. I'd be like, I have a degree in music production. <laughs> you I almost mi- just like, fell out of my chair. You missed the, the whole the point. point. <laughs> but like, yeah, I don't know. The point is that I've been making music for a long time. And I think what's even more important is that it took a lot of work to lead up to that moment. Like totally. that moment didn't just happen. Like I had put out two records independently at that point, you know, I moved to New York and got into this program with like 60 people in a class, you know, like it was a thing. Yeah. It wasn't an accident. I think that that's my biggest takeaway is that like it is all in one sort of like we're talking about before, it is completely extreme and bizarre and wild and this thing that I will spend my life and much of my work, I'm sure, processing and 
expressing gratitude and wonderment for and also like have worked hard and believe in the work that I make. So if it wasn't then or in that moment, I know that I'd still be making music. So after that happened, I really want to talk about just like the forming of Maggie Rogers Incorporated hmm. in my mind. That's what I look at it as. I okay, mean, yeah. I just think that like, you know, on this podcast, anybody that comes on, no matter what you're doing, artist, editor, entrepreneur, whatever it is, yeah. there's a business plan at play. Yeah. So after this video happened, what did it feel like you were building a startup almost? Yeah. I mean, talk about startup. I mean, you know, what's the startup plan? It's like you don't make money in the first like two or three years. Like, right. I made money touring for the first time on the tour that I just played this fall. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a profitable business. Yeah. <laughs> Financial freedom is an amazing thing. It's real, but it's like yeah. that it took three years of global touring to make right. that happen. Right. There was a business plan, but it was also, it was part of my college thesis. Right. Like I had to turn in a record and a business plan for it. So is that business plan still in play today? No. And I know you've talked about it a lot in the past and it was very detailed. And I'm sort of in the process. I mean, we can get there, but I'm sort of in the process of figuring out what a new one might look like. But what I had written out, we ended up doing it just in a super abbreviated way. Like right. mine had me maybe playing some like very low slots on like a couple local festivals that next summer and instead I like played Glastonbury like we fast forwarded really fast but I brought that business plan into boardrooms when the Pharrell video happened I mean the like crazy thing is that why I love the music industry is what I should say is that it's a place where technology and art are always informing the way everything is changing. So there's space for anyone to come in with a new idea and totally rewrite the script of how anything can be done. So I was a 22-year-old college graduate walking into these boardrooms with power and putting my business plan on the table and saying, this is the kind of record deal I want to sign. How much money will you offer me? And like, do you want to do this deal? And it was incredibly empowering. And part of that, too, was that that video gave me leverage. And that leverage helped me find an incredible team who I still work with and absolutely adore. And we are a partnership. And we work together. And the creative drives everything. But, like, all of these decisions, I mean, part of making business decisions is gut instinct and intuition and morals is you know whatever your moral compass is and then the other half is perspective like knowing what's normal and what's acceptable and making informed decisions so yeah I have a really special team was a record label always in the plan that might be a naive question coming from someone who's not in music but I feel like today record labels sometimes yeah. are in question I have my own label and I signed a licensing deal to Capitol Records. So I own all my masters and they don't take any part of my touring or merchandise, et cetera. That leverage really gave you it's the good. deal of a lifetime. Well, I think that was the only context under which I would sign a deal yeah. is that if it was on my terms and could empower my business and me owning my work. And a label was always part of the plan because of the visibility I had, I needed to grow my team in order to make the most of the opportunity that I had. And so I just needed more people on board. That wasn't always a major label. 
And I think major labels are fantastic if you're a priority, but they can be a really scary and easy place to get lost if you're not. Goes but, for so many other But that's anything. Too. You want to be totally. signed. You want to work with people who you're important to. And that will fight for you. Exactly. Yeah. And understand your creative vision. And I have really loved and adored my team there. And it checked all those boxes. Was part of your plan initially, did that include any of what the persona would be? And when I say persona, it's not so much that you are not who you authentically are, but I do think when you are someone that is rising in fame, that there is a degree of separation between who the public sees and who you really are. No, it wasn't a part of it. It's been interesting to sort of go through that process because <laughs> I don't think that there is a difference. I don't either. Which is to be really which honest. is and I, I, and I know you in person. No, it's yeah. interesting because somebody asked me. We we're talking about the sort of fan dynamic and boundaries and respect and figuring out what that was comfortable for me and implementing that. And it's such a complicated relationship because it's one way. People know me really well because of the ways in which I've shared, but I can't know everyone that listens to my music because they're receiving. And a journalist asked me, okay, so what's the difference? Say that I've listened to your entire catalog and I've read a bunch of your press. What's the difference between the person I know you to be from that and who you really are? <laughs> really, It like really, really hit me <laughs> because I, I don't think there's a difference. I'm really transparent. I write from an emotional place, but like I didn't prep for this interview. I just knew that like you were going to ask me questions. I was going to answer you honestly. And like, that's what it was going to look like. Like, yeah, <laughs> I think it's, I'm in an interesting moment now because I've grown, but I think that I've done a good job throughout like so much of the way I have learned to express myself or express changes or explore change is through costume and wardrobe. It's been a, like what I'm wearing on stage has been such a reflection of where I am personally. And it's gone from super colorful, bright costumes, jumpsuits with capes and eyeshadow and glitter for days and glitter for days to jeans and a t-shirt to these like really graceful, beautiful, silk, flowy pieces and I think I don't know what it would be right now if I had to get on stage and I don't know what it will be the next time I tour, but that's also why I'm in rest mode. I'm in like regeneration phase where I like get to check in with myself and figure out where I am. I don't have to know right now because your average person doesn't have to know. <laughs> like, I really love what you said in the interview that you had with Tavi at 92nd mm -hmm. Street Y about output culture. And I think that yeah. there's, there's <laughs> something to be said about what you're saying right now where it's like being in a rest mode. It's totally fine. You don't constantly need to be in this creation mode to have it be a reflection of like self-awareness in the moment. Well, I'm not trying to be something. I'm, I'm just someone. Right. And I'm sticking to that because that's how I feel human. Like, I think it's really different for everyone. I mean, the character for so many people is really empowering right. and really creative and a really necessary practice. For me, it started to feel dehumanizing. So I shifted. On that note, your Instagram to me is so personal. And oh, it's thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like reading. I guess. Thank you. I don't know. No, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's. I'm, I'll, yeah, I'll elaborate. <laughs> I'll elaborate. Um, I don't have a Finsta. You know this. Like, I don't. 
it's okay. Close friends. I don't know. I close friends every now and then. Yeah, I only like close friends like relationship stuff. But I also think that it's like that's to that me, is private. Having a finsta and having like an even having I don't a business, manage that shit. It's way too the words much, out of man. my mouth. Even having like a business Instagram, like it's just no one channel, one output. Like I'm trying to simplify. Yeah. But what I was saying is, your Instagram is actually obviously I'm a massive fan and consumer of your music. Oh, but dog, you know that. I know. <laughs> But being on your Instagram has almost felt like being like in a room with you reading your diary. It's like in your handwriting sometimes and it feels really personal. And that's not a persona because I don't think that you feel like you need to hide behind something. Like that's genuinely who you are. Yeah, it's actually just how I express myself. Right. And, and the the writings too. It's like I write my journal every day and it's not like a weird creative thing. It's just like I it's like compulsive. Like I, I get an itch when I haven't written in long enough like it just is something like the handwriting is like in my journal in my pen because I'm processing and thinking and like that's how it happens and like that's what my lyrics are too and like that's when I'm thinking about culture and politics what it looks like and I don't know Instagram it freaks everyone out you know like even it's so sweet you saying that but like and that's real but like my relationship with it changes because it's used for different things at different times you know when I'm on tour it's really about documenting yeah, what it looks like on tour. And now that I'm off tour, I sort of don't know what it's for. So I've been off it a lot more. But <laughs> I totally, totally get that. It's like use it in the moments that you need it. But you posting the lyrics has actually like redefined songs for me and ah. recontextualized songs for me. Just breaking them up into like the sonnets and the poetry that you intended them to be has made every song, like the way that even if I'm in the shower singing it back, I'm like, oh, wow. This feels so different. Mm. Wow, that's great to hear. I mean, I care. Yeah, but even then, <laughs> I that, work like, really hard on them. Like, I really like. It's important to me what I'm saying. Totally, but like, even though, like, talking about private versus public, like, where do you draw the line between what's journaling and what's songwriting? I don't know that there is a line. Names, maybe. <laughs> Although, like, I've written songs with names in them before. Like, I think that songwriting for me has been about documenting. To a certain extent, and it is processing, but it's like the synthesis happens in my journal. And once I understand it, it's like the song is the final statement of the thought. If that makes sense, or it's yes. like me telling the story. It's sometimes like an interaction will happen, and you'll walk away and be like, "What the fuck just happened?" Like, yeah. So the journal is like is me being like, "But this, but this, but this," and then like the song is like the next iteration is like in conclusion, right? <laughs> like, ah! <laughs> when do you know something is finished? It's never finished. Art and deadlines are, I mean, they, art right. needs deadlines or it'll never be done. And art and commerce have been tied since like Michelangelo. And it is just like a thing. It's never done, but you have to turn it in at some point. But that's also like kind of why I never listen to my music because I'm always like, like the vocal's too loud in this part or like the delay should have been shorter or like I'm getting better at just being like, it was the best I could make it at the time I had to turn it in. But like, if you're an artist, nothing's ever perfect. How did you learn to trust your opinion? I know that's a weird question, but oh, I feel like it's I really, have always- this is like the, I feel like this is just the like period of our lives where it's totally about learning. I have realized that overstimulation is a big part in self-doubt. If I'm like rested and calm and have time to really process or just like take a sec. I always know how I feel. It's just like making space for intuition. 
it's harder when you have to make a bunch of decisions on the fly and like there's a bunch of distractions, but everyone knows what their gut feels like. You know, it's physical or even just like intuition. Yeah. You know, like you just, you know, you know what the answer is. You might not like the answer and you might want to reason around it. And I always like try and brain my way around things, but like the answer is the answer. All these decisions have already been made. You just have to remember what the answer is. I love that you just brought up overstimulation because by the way, I loved your Twitter Q&A for the Grammys. thought it was awesome. The oh. questions were great. <laughs> Thank you. I loved what you had to say about what it takes for you to get to be able to write, which is the perfect pen. By the way, best pen ever. Best pen ever. G207. It's very soft. It's really nice. Oh, it's great. It's got a great click. A couple, like two to three days of downtime and then the perfect amount of boredom. You have a job and a career that doesn't necessarily always give you the most amount of boredom. Well, the other end of that response is like the rest of that tweet was like, and nothing. And it's like everything and nothing, you know? It's like, or I just like need to be like going for a walk from literally the tour bus to sound check and there's a song. It's impossible to tell. Yeah. But anyway, sorry. I cut off your question. No, no, no. You basically answered it. I wanted to know, you know, what keeps you bored in a career with like massive amounts of overstimulation? Oh, I mean, it doesn't happen, unfortunately. I think that this is where I'm, what I'm trying to like move through at the moment. I'm not very creative on tour. I'm creative in different ways. I'm not creative in the way that I grew up loving, which is like being in the studio and writing songs because there isn't a lot of that space. And there also isn't a lot of privacy. Like I really need to be in a place where I can think out loud with like a deep amount of security in order to sort of like let that guard down. Vulnerability is a tool. In order to be really vulnerable, that's when the best songs come. But if I have to get on stage in front of like 5,000 people that night, you can't walk out raw because you won't be able to do a show. What I'm dealing with now is the overstimulation. Like learning how to be bored. Like I am completely my own worst enemy. I'm used to a very fast pace. So being slow is really hard. And like... I am in deep, deep withdrawal. Adrenaline is a drug and it does crazy things to your body. And I have had a dose of it twice a week for the last three years. And I'm learning what my body looks and feels like without it. And it's amazing and it's challenging and it's a process. I have so many questions about adrenaline, but We can Um, talk about it. We'll definitely get there. But in the midst of what you were just saying, what really popped out to me was this idea of vulnerability on stage. Mm -hmm. And I remember, this was actually the last time I saw you here in LA. You and I shared a car ride back from a lunch that we had. You were just about to release Falling Water. Mm -hmm. We both kind of riffed on these tumultuous relationships in our lives. And Falling Water had been about one in your life. Mm -hmm. And it was it was an emotional conversation for both of us because we had both been very tied to those relationships in our lives. I wonder how you cope with taking such vulnerable moment and then performing it for fun every night on stage. Yeah. I mean, it's a hilarious idea, right? <laughs> to like take the most— She went from like my super serious question to be like, it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> no, but it is fucking hilarious. Like, uh, sure, I will like— sign up for and in fact like spend my whole life preparing and working for and enjoying the fact that I'm going to take the most vulnerable painful moments emotionally charged moments of my entire life and relive them every night (laughs) like it's hilarious repetition does such a beautiful thing for music which is these songs like it's so different the way I understand this record now after touring it for a year and a half versus when I made it 
it's almost like I didn't actually know what it was about. I couldn't hear these songs fully. I didn't know what this record was really about until I had to go through the process of touring it. Because musically, arrangements changed and are so, so different. And the arrangements for this record in particular grew so much for the live show. But also sort of the repetition of words, you know, it becomes like a mantra and you find your way into different pieces of it and you reassign them. Once the song is out in the world, I have released it, which is the word for it, but also like it is the deep emotional verb for what happens. Like that emotion gets released. And once a piece of music has invited other people's emotions into its world, it does the same for me. So Falling Water, the frustration I'm expressing in it can become about like a fight I had with a friend that day. It can be about anything, you know, like I was trying to think of like something that would happen in a hotel, but like I'm not in really in hotels, I'm in a bus. <laughs> like it can be like the, okay, the heater in my bus broke and it was super hot all night and I was really frustrated. And like, it can be an outlet for that. It can be as simple or as complicated as I need to let go of that day. I actually really like that you always say like, whenever you release something, you're like, this is yours now. Mm -hmm. What is that emotional process like of giving things away that are so close to you? I mean, it's the reason I do what I do because at the end of the day, like you choose your career for sort of two reasons, right? You either are the kind of person that like wants to make the most amount of money and provide the most amount of comfort for you and those around you, or you want to do whatever you can do to contribute to the world and make the world a better place. And music is just, it's the best way I can do the most amount of good in the world, given like whatever skills I am personally equipped with. So giving songs away is part of that practice. It is part of how I exist in the world. And like also it's part of art. Like nobody makes art for themselves. Like you make art to share it. And it's also part of like being a human is like, Everyone wants to connect. The part I love the most about this is the community that has been created around my music. And you have a very, very loyal fan base. It's so special to me. And every time I meet a fan, like I've said this before, but I mean it. Like it actually feels like we'd all be at the same house party. Like even yeah. if that person wasn't my best friend, they're definitely like a friend of a friend. Huh? Hey. <laughs> hey. It is this sort of shared culture and dialogue and language that is so empowering to me. I mean, I was at your Coachella show, and I can— It was the best weekend one or two. One. Best show I've ever played. I attest to that. I've seen a lot of live shows. And any time I see somebody that I know do their art and do what they love, I'm always slightly emotional. But watching the way that the audience cheered for you at the end of your set was something I have never seen before mm. in my whole life. There were literal tears rolling down my face. My boyfriend thought I was crazy. Oh my God. It just was, it was so moving. It was I, as if everybody in the room was your sibling and you just won an Oscar. I, That's what it was like. I got him goosebumps. It yeah, was so, it was so deeply moving. And I just want, like. It was so crazy too, because I was so nervous. I was so nervous because I felt so out of place at Coachella. And I didn't have a ton of production. I didn't have a crazy costume. I didn't have a big video screen. And I, I loved of, the non-crazy costume, by the way. <laughs> I did. I just, I appreciated it. I was well, like, okay, yeah. That's, I decided, I was just like, well, that's not really me. You know, I was like, the only thing I can do is be here and, and be me. And that set was so important. I said this on that Q&A too, but it really 
it was the first time I saw myself perform, saw a video of me playing. And it really, really helped validate my exhaustion. Because I have a loud critic because I'm an artist and because I'm a person. And like my self-critic is a part of how I continue to be better and it can get in the way. And part of my critic over the last couple of years that I've been touring is that like I'm not working hard enough, which again is hilarious. But I would see that's insane that you've ever that that thought. I know, but like I, I think I had to learn to qualify work in a different way. Yeah, work like I was also an English major in college. Work was like staring at Pro Tools editing or like working on a paper. Like I didn't know what energetic work could look. Oh, like. Oh, I love this because I think. When you leave college, whatever field you go into, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're going into a nine to five, yeah, the idea of working, I think, in a nine to five structure has deeply negatively affected our generation so much totally. because it's actually forced me to overwork because I don't understand when to stop because my job is so which different. I, I still do. Like I've already answered all my emails and I'm sort of on my computer still, like, and doing it's like 11:30 p.m. And, and I'm like, like, why am I still? Why working? am I still doing this? I'm not being productive again. Realizing what energy work was, or like, because I was like, oh, I'm just like having a conversation with someone. How is this work? It's not like critical analysis, right? But it is energy you're expanding, and I had to learn what that looked like. So this Coachella performance, like, I had been in that tent. I had seen people play and seeing footage. And I was like, and I had played in bands my whole life. I was like, why is this set making me so much more exhausted than anything I've ever done? Like, why can't I handle this? And then I saw footage of me playing. And it's like, oh, I made a record that is so vocally intense. Like I'm screaming the whole show. And like I'm running a 5K in heels. Also, however fast I think I'm moving, seeing the video was crazy because adrenaline means that I'm moving twice as fast. You know how to work a stage. But that is something I've learned. Like, I did not know how to work a stage when I graduated from college. Like, what I have done in the last three years is become a world-class performer. But I worked really hard every day for the last three years to do that. And, by the way, other parts of my creative life are not as strong right now. Like, I haven't like bust an EQ chain in a long time. And like, I know that I have that knowledge, but it's not something I've been using every day. So like, it'll come back when I like go to make this record. But it's again being like, it's okay. I have invested my time and energy in creating different strengths. So you watch the Coachella show, but if you don't usually watch your shows and you don't listen to your music, what's the feedback loop? On stage or just in general? I think in general. I think something, I mean, you're in... Hmm. You're different because you work with a band. You guys are constantly bouncing ideas off each other. But I do think that there's like a loneliness of being an artist or an entrepreneur today that sometimes there's not really like a sounding board, especially in your case if you're yeah, not looking solo back. Yeah, artist. I think the feedback loop, can you actually just define that? Like even just sitting down and watching a performance, if there's something that you're doing that you don't like and just kind of getting notes from that. or right. like, it's like watching if, game tape. Exactly. You're, so you're Sorry, asking. I'm not a sports person, but that's exactly what I was looking for. No, it's okay. The word. <laughs> I'm not either, but actually my managers are, so I'm learning about sports. <laughs> right. So there you go. Like I'm oh. like game time. Like, yes, plays, moves. So you're saying like if I'm not watching quote unquote game tape, then like how do I make adjustments? Yeah. Intuition. It's everything we started talking about at the beginning. Yeah. You know, it's like something will just like not 
click or not feel good. And I have to just trust that I get off stage and I'm like, ah, oh, something in retrograde didn't feel great tonight. And I'm like, I don't know what it was because my brain was moving so fast. Then I have a conversation with my band and we like run it a couple of times the next day in sound check. And that night when we get on stage, whatever it was that we like were not together on is better. I'm trying to think about what it looks like outside of music because that has been my real, I mean, I make a lot of lists. Same. My to do, my like sticky yeah. notes in my phone is a really scary sticky place. Sticky notes. Wow. Is that the right term? I mean, notes in the phone, but like sticky notes. Remember like your old yeah, Mac yeah, yeah. with you had different I know, colors? That's what I was like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I loved those. But your band is so. They're the shit. Yeah. Dude. They rock. Like but that was a process. I mean, I interviewed a bunch of people because you're also, you're not just looking for great musicians. You're Partners. looking for roommates. Yeah. I actually yeah. wonder about that. Like we're both 25 and you're essentially the lead singer slash head of the family in a way. But you're with these people 24-7, living with them, creating yeah. with them. Like, what was it like holding that responsibility of keeping the family close on tour? Well, I always say that I'm a camp counselor because that was my <laughs> first job. And it's still my job. <laughs> like, it's just leadership, you know? Right. And it can't be a family because there also have to be personal boundaries. Totally. But I also, like, just so deeply love my band. I think a lot of it has been learning to delegate. The biggest thing I've learned is that, like, I can't do it all as much as I want to. Yeah. And, like, having to really, like, build deeply trusting relationships. Like, I've now given over a lot of the musical direction to a friend of mine named Brian Kesley who plays bass. It just means that, like, I write a song, I give it to him, and he works it up with the band to, like, 75%. And then I come in and I, like, make adjustments. I'm not there with the drummer as he's, like, learning the part. Right. And I'm not, like, cutting stems for him to play anymore. Right. I'm delegating. I, or I just got an assistant. That's been like a total adjustment. And it has changed my life because suddenly I'm not like refilling my mascara on Amazon. <laughs> like Asking for help is a big thing. Asking for help. Yeah. I'm really, really in tune with that right now. Yeah. Especially as someone that's kind of like done it myself for a little while and doing it forever. Yeah. And just been on my own. And the feedback loop has actually been something I've been so interested in this year, just kind of being siloed in my work not being like an office space and having like the help of others. It's been really fun actually working on these interviews because based on who it is, I'll like bring in a friend of mine who is either like a fan or not or someone that's just in the industry. and it's like brainstorm questions? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't do this can't. alone. I also would say that I have this incredible best friend named Taylor Brock who is my date to the Grammys. And T has just incredible taste and knows culture and politics really well. And she also just was an amazing friend. I mean, we met just like going to punk shows on like Tuesdays in college and she was always the person down for a show. And then she started selling merch on tour. And I always thought it was just because she was interested in the touring business. And then I realized that she was like very quietly saving my life. (laughs) She came on to be my roommate and like kept me a person, you know, but she would be the person. I mean, even two days ago, you know, I I texted her and was like, Oh, like my brain's fried. I can't figure out which should be the thumbnail for this video. And she was just like that one. I'm like six. Someone made a decision. Like, great. But so now we're in 2020, which is really crazy to me. You've released an EP. You've had a record debut album. All these amazing things that have accumulated in the creation of like where you're at today. But looking back on from college to now, what do you feel like has been the biggest lesson business wise that you've learned? Don't host journalists. Ooh, unpack that, please. When I was at the beginning of my career, I thought that I had to, like, be a perfect pop star and, like, make everyone like me. I think the biggest lesson I've learned is, like, how to expend 
and save my energy. The person I'm talking to doesn't have to become my best friend. Like that I can just answer their questions honestly and thoughtfully and that's enough. I think that I maybe hyperextended a little bit at the beginning of my career and it took me a while to just be like, yo, like you're good. <laughs> it's really challenging though when you have such, we both have such like person heavy careers. It's social norms. It's very like, difficult. The social norm, if you're meeting someone for coffee, is to entertain them right. and to like put forward into the conversation. But like if you're doing that for five hours straight, like you can be warm and polite and kind and thoughtful, but you're not on a coffee date with your new best friend. You're both there for work. And again, that's one of those like learning how to have a work meeting and not have it take all your energy is equally like a weird musician thing and like a normal 20 something thing. Do you totally. Know? Like, I love that you're saying that. I really it do is. because it's, I hate calling people relatable because I just think that it's, I don't know, there's something that I almost feel is like degrading about it. It's like, yes, I'm a real person. Like, obviously I am relatable. Yeah. But hearing you frame your story and be like, you're like, yeah, I'm in my 20s. Like, this is what everybody else is going through. Mine's just different. Mine, yeah. Well, the other thing that Amelia Meath of Sylvanesso said to me that I have always think about really frequently is she told me once she was like, dude, everyone in the music industry likes to make things feel life or death. And I don't think that this is like exclusive to the music industry. Yeah, everything, just like, everything's an emergency all the time. Like, Emails are flagged. They say important. Yeah. I'm like, no. It's not the end. Like, it's fine. <laughs> like, yeah. If you don't do this one thing, it's not going to end your career. It's like totally fine. This is like industry-wide right now. I feel like some people choose to go to college. Some people aren't and they want to work right away. Yeah. Do you think if you are in music, you need to go to school for it? No. I'm a big nerd and I love school and I like want to go to grad school and I love education deeply. But I have a second major in English and if I didn't study music, I would have done that. I had a really unique education. I sort of basically went to grad school because yeah, I was in I mean. like a trade program. I think you can learn a lot just, I mean, if you read Donald Passman's Everything You Need to Know About the Music Industry and like the Pro Tools Manual. There's another book called Sound Effects. Oh, I love this. Like, I can give I you always, my like I, syllabus reading list. What are the resources that you use to be able to just kickstart that? I mean, what school gave me was a network. Yeah. I mean, and that's totally. what you're looking for more than anything. Totally. Like I make like most of my video documentary content is made by friends who went to NYU film school. Like the list like kind of goes on and on and on. Totally. But like I have an incredible amount of mentors you know the thing that people don't talk about is the person sitting next to Pharrell in that video is Bob Power who is my production teacher and he produced every tribe called Quest record like he's fucking legend <laughs> like, right and that was my mentor you know and Nick Sansano who produced a bunch of records for the Sonic Youth like I learned but I also like school also brought in like a special guest that was Pharrell Williams it's access but it's and also that's, like, privilege invaluable. like it's true college is so expensive like College debt, especially NYU. Yeah. Like, college debt is one of the, like, biggest crises in this country. Like, it is such a privilege that that's where we got to go to school that, like, I don't know that I can sit here and say, like, you have to do that or, like, you're not going to make it. Like, it was super, super helpful for me. And it's become integral to my story. Totally. But also, just, like, being in New York was the biggest thing for me. I mean, I moved from rural Maryland when I was 18 to New York City. And went from a place where I had to drive two and a half hours to see live music to, like, literally going to eight shows a week. New York was such an education for me. 
because I got to see so many different kinds of music and like my brain creatively exploded like on the business side was where I think school I really benefited me but as far as like from the music I think there's a lot more to having a successful career than just like playing instruments in your house with your friends but also like that is the most important part and the best part those little down moments yeah yeah I wonder a lot about Obviously, I talk a lot about entrepreneurship, but especially female entrepreneurship. Is there anything as a female in your career so far that you've seen that has made you change the way you operate in your career? Oh, that's an interesting question. It's complicated because I think having like gendered conversations in 2020 is just so irrelevant, but also that's where I want to be. And I just, the reality is that like, Gender is still part of the conversation, unfortunately, no matter how you identify. Part of the conversation we had at the beginning was people not believing that I like write or produce my music. Also, like I can't control what people believe, you know? It's like I had to let it go. It sucks because I worked really fucking hard. Yeah. <laughs> but also like that work was for me. It wasn't for someone else to just like see or validate my work. I think that that was a lesson I had to learn. Trying to think about like the ways in which my sexuality has played a role in my work or my life. Because, you know, this fall I was on Fox News for telling someone off for telling me to take my top off at a show. And how the fuck that made Fox News is crazy. Also, how that just happened in general is infuriating. Yeah, I guess the Fox News part is beside the point. That was the part that was scary. <laughs> but like the I whole mean, thing. and the, the I mean. What did that feel like? The take your top off moment. Or how the- did you process that, you know, from being so deeply offended at your show to then seeing it on Fox News. I think I was actually just really hurt. I was so just like, what? Like, I've shared everything. Like, I'm naked already. Like, what else am I going to take off? You know, like, I am so raw and vulnerable because of my community and what that allows me to do. And there is a security that they provide me that empowers the work that I do. You know, the community was still there. I also had a conversation of if I needed to say something on Instagram. Yeah. Because, like, I said something the night before. Right. I had already addressed it. It was more like a, am I still upset about this and will saying something else in the morning make me feel better? I think that's the thing with social media always. I try and always ask myself, like, why am I posting this or why am I saying this? Because that's the more interesting question, right? The selfie is like not super interesting, but like the story of the insecurity behind that photo is the more interesting question. Totally. Like it's something I always ask, but that's because I'm obsessed with storytelling. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know that everybody needs to go second guess their life forever, but I try and live mine with intention. So yeah, gender plays a role. You just recently took a vacation for the first time. Yeah. I love that as someone who like does not take breaks ever. Or I'm really, really like- trying to learn how to rest. Yeah. Was there like a moment where you were just like, all right, time for vacay? I think I was just starting to realize that I worked really hard and that that meant that I had afforded myself some rest. Yeah. I'm getting better at saying no. I loved what you were posting at the end of the year. Yeah. Learning to trust, learning to rest, all those things. It's a big year. I mean, for me, everything about in my life is about like fueling my creativity. Right. And fueling my art and then fueling the friendships I have that are deeply important to me. And I can't be good at either of those things if I'm not resting because I'm just not myself. I think I'm getting better at recognizing signs of deep fatigue 
which is, I think, the space that I'm in right now. My memory is really bad. I want to remember. <laughs> yeah. My memory is really bad. And I can't talk really for like more than a couple hours a day. And I'm sleeping a lot. <laughs> I've been on tour for three years. It's funny. I've been having these like conversations with friends about what it was like to graduate from college. We've been talking about this so much. I think that I will meet everybody career slash like emotional slash life wise at the like five year mark. But I like super shifted my life where like for most people, the career and the emotion grow at the same time. And like you learn how to live your life at the same time as your career develops. And for me, it's a one foot then the other. Right. So I spent the last three years completely devoting myself to walking through this giant door that opened for me and taking advantage of this opportunity and really deeply building this foundation for my business and my career and my my life, building a blueprint for my life. And it has superseded every possible goal, dream, thing that I could possibly think about for my life. I honestly can't think about something that would be on the bucket list that you haven't hit in three years. It's not even a bucket list anymore. It's like yeah. stuff like, it's like SNL or Radio City. Like those weren't things that I ever dreamed about because I just didn't think that that was right. That yeah. was possible. Or I didn't see myself as that kind of artist. I thought I'd be playing like clubs my whole life because that was the music I loved. Like I never really went to Radio City to see, sh- I went to see James Blake. You I know? was there. Oh, best show so I've ever good. seen. Yeah. I'm so far in the dreams, the realm of dreams I didn't know existed. Right. I loved, again, I'm bringing up the 92nd Street Y interview. If you guys haven't seen it, please go watch it on YouTube. It's incredible. And watch it on YouTube. Don't listen to the podcast because it's just nice to see the way you two are interacting. That's me being a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) But you told her that your life is really just beginning now. Yeah, I think that's true because I spent my whole life working towards these like impossible goals and in some strange alternate parallel universe, I achieved them. and. It's super exciting because now I get to like circle back and have conversations with friends on podcasts and think about writing or grad school or the next record or I'm building a studio right now, which is like, what a dream, you know? I haven't had a creative space that's mine since high school. Like, it's an exciting time to get to remember how to dream. You've done an album, even being in high school and college, like that's your creative ambition. It's like, album tour but what is that now that you've done it like I, I could see like yeah. like is Maggie Rogers gonna like write a book is she gonna write a play like there's yeah I feel like there is I'm gonna do all of it <laughs> I, and I believe you when I hear you say that wouldn't surprise me if your creative ambitions just go way beyond music well I think the goal is to just like learn what I'm capable of and to push my creativity maybe that'll look like acting or film scoring or writing or podcasting or curating or Maybe I'm just going to go hike for a while or maybe I'm going to go to grad school or like maybe I'm going to go do fire relief in Australia for a couple months or like I don't know. But the beauty is that like I get to not know and I get to choose. I mean, choice is the greatest privilege in the world. And I've worked really hard the past couple of years and I'm now being afforded some level of it. It's like, okay, choosing vacation. (laughs) And choosing, the goal is to live a beautiful life. What does that look like for me? And how do I feed that? And these are sort of the questions that I'm asking myself right now. And you've hit so many accolades, I can't even repeat them back. But towards the end of last year, Forbes 30 Under 30, Time 100 Next, and you just got nominated for Grammy for Best New Artist, which like I can't even speak. I'm sorry. It's (laughs) funny. You see my face? I was like, what? It's just like 
that it's like I don't remember what I was at the time event. Like I remember seeing the Forbes thing. Like it's so psycho to hear you say that as like I couldn't hold it together. Like my friend <laughs> saying these things across the table for me because I and this is what freaks me out is that I don't remember those things happening. Like because my brain was just like I do and I don't. And so I'm just excited to process. Be like, when did Forbes thing happen? That's insane. And again, these things are like they're an honor and they are not art. Yes. I love that. It's interesting to hear how Twitter responds to those lists every year where it's like, these people are so artistic. Like, why do they need the lists and blah, blah, blah. Well, and I think that the reality is like the goal as an artist is to add to the canon of great work. And that can only be recognized like 50 or 100 years past. Like we're only now just understanding like the greatest records from the 90s. Like no one's going to know now. I'm appreciating them. Yeah. Like no one's going to know now what the best records of this year were. Like we're going to figure that out later because I bet that there's a couple cult records that like, I don't know, came out towards the end of the year. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just think that like the best picture of the year will be different for everyone because art is made for individuals. And then as a medium, you won't know what's contributed until you can see the way it influences art in the future. Yeah. The Grammys are so soon. The Grammys are so soon. Are you nervous? <laughs> just on a friend question level. I'm like, so excited. I'm just go going. And that's crazy. And my parents are coming. My best friend is my date. Like, it's like prom. Yeah. <laughs> Award shows are silly. And they're fun. And they're social. I, Yeah. I don't know. I want to talk to you about like this, like a friend, but this is the part of it where I'm like, I don't know what to say about the Grammys other than it's crazy. And that's fine. Yeah. I think I'd probably say the same thing in the parallel. I have a dress. Vintage Chanel. That is from the period of time when I was hiking in Alaska in 2013. Literally throw me out the window right now. It is so stunning, but also the fact that it's like from this collection that was being designed while I was hiking in Alaska is just like so special. And I put the dress on for the first time a while ago, like before nominations or anything. I went in for a fitting for a separate event and put this dress on and was just like, this is my dress. Like I just saw it and was like, can I play dress up please? And they were like, fine. And I just like put it on and was like, this is, and so we just like put it on hold and it needed some repairs because it's super, super delicate black tool. And it's, really gorgeous and really special and when I put it on it just like has this insane I've never put a piece of clothing on that makes me feel the way this dress does I'm it's so excited so special. to see it yeah I'm, oh, I'm, photo. Yeah. I'm so incredibly I'm really excited. excited yeah again your ability to storytell is so captivating oh, and I'm just so excited you. to like see you be able to wear that on such a special night <laughs> yeah it's amazing I'm excited I want to talk a little bit more about downtime since you are in a restful period right now yeah but I read that you went to motorcycle school is that how you cope with like coming down from adrenaline. I need to be very, very clear about motorcycles, which is they're super fucking dangerous, which is that I don't ride motorcycles in Los Angeles. I don't really ride very far or with a lot of cars. I ride wearing a lot of padding going fairly slowly back roads in Maryland. That sounds very liberating. And it's a way to moderate adrenaline. Yeah. I respect that. I also respect the disclaimer because I also am a big safety but, first person but it's sort of like it functions so much in the way that we were talking about like I got off tour and I needed to do something else 
And what I did was I went to school because <laughs> I've talked so much about how I love school. But I like I learned about something that I love had absolutely okay. nothing to do with music. Yeah. And that was when I started writing the record. I love your desire to just keep learning. I think that I've talked yeah, about this on a- are we here? I've talked about this on a lot of episodes. I feel like learning is reserved for, like people think it's reserved for childhood. Like going and taking a new class sometimes is like really challenging to people. Like taking up a new skill is like sometimes daunting. And you have to be learning. I think that that's why like so many people do psychedelics when they're like 60 or 70, you know, just to like learn more. Yeah. Like I'm so excited about the world. Like I want to know about everything. What's feeding you right now? What are you reading, watching, listening to? I'm reading Patti Smith's new book, which is so good. And it's this kind of like new weird genre called speculative nonfiction, which is like memoir, but with like magical realism. It's so cool. She's brilliant and always inspires me. That's it. And I haven't read in like six days. Like I'm actually trying to just say no to everything and go for a walk once a day. And go to yoga if I'm feeling up to it, which is weird because I'm such a runner. I'm not really running. I'm listening to this one Patsy Klein live at the Opry record and this one Leonard Cohen live record. Not doing much. <laughs> Minimizing the input. Yeah. And just like actually trying to do nothing, which is really hard for me. I'm definitely my own worst enemy at it. But like, I had a meeting yesterday and I had to come home and I laid down for like three hours. I'm actually getting a bunch of like medical stuff. Like I'm going to get a physical. I haven't gotten a physical in years. Yeah, and apparently chronic fatigue is a thing. It 100% is. So Yeah. Yeah. Definitely get it checked out. And do some blood work. Yeah. <laughs> Just make sure everything's okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I respect that. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you. joy right now. Yeah, I'm yeah. happy to be here. Thank you for also being it's honest. It's crazy and- this is going to come out the day after the Grammys. Congrats on being nominated and being Thank there. You. And I hope you have the most special night. And Thank you. Like it's everything you want it to be. I mean, I like grew up watching the Grammys. It's right. so wild. Yeah. I'm so excited. Congrats again. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.